Good evening, everyone. This is Jude Seymour, uh, editor and writer at One Foot Down. I'm joined tonight without uh, our fearless leader, Supreme Warlord, Defender of the Faith, Uwa Joshua. Uh, he is uh, working. So I have with me uh, Brendan, our, our longtime part of the triumvirate, and special guest, Greg from UHND. I'm not doing last names because the first time I had Brendan <laughs> on, I, I said, like, McLallan Dillon or whatever, and then Greg, I just I, I, I give up. Uh, I think it's Flamang, but I don't know. I'm not gonna. No, you got it. That's perfect. all right. Cool. I have no confidence. So I think it's McLinden, right? Did no, I yeah, that? you nailed it. All right. Um, so I guess the better question then, if you want to, if you want to do that, um, Jude, what's your what's your DJ name? <laughs> My DJ name? Yeah, what, what's your D, what, what, would, what would your DJ name me? Is it like the the street I grew up on and my the name of my first pet, or how do, how do I how do I arrive? I mean, at my if if you were if you were um, being paid an exorbitant amount of money to stand in front of some people and press some buttons on a key on like a on a key you know keyboard or a um, laptop, uh, what uh, what would your moniker be? I, I mean, I know what, what mine. I mean, I know what mine is. I, do you I just, have one for me? Um. I mean, oh man, that's a uh, DJJS. DJJS. I was gonna say DJ Shillelagh. Oh, DJ Shillelagh is very good. Uh, <laughs> you are the the person who discovered the Northwestern Shillelagh. That's right. That's that right. will be uh, somebody's podcast name in about three months. Okay. <laughs> DJ Shillelagh. Greg, do you, you have a do you have DJ, DJ Shillelagh podcast? I don't have a good one. I guess I would just be a DJ RPO, something like that. <laughs> wow, I did not think I was not re- I was not prepared to talk about DJ names, but I am prepared know. to talk about a, a wide variety of, of Notre Dame related topics. Uh, starting with the Kelly press conference, I was wondering maybe if Brendan, you could give us a rundown of what Brian Kelly said in his latest Zoom call with with the media. He said a lot of things. Um, there were Anything a couple interesting. of, in terms of football, um, the one that really stuck for me is he did mention, um, the testing is going to be something that's going to be prevalent. The students should all be back on campus. Um, he mentioned that if practice is indoors, they will be wearing masks. So expect a lot of outdoor practices this, uh, summer slash fall. Um, so they're uh, brand new Sterling, indoor practice facility had its inaugural christening in their lone spring practice. And it probably will remain on ice until, uh, this whole thing's figured out. Grand opening, grand closing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, he also mentioned, and something that I found pretty poignant was that there will be a reduced playbook to start the season, which makes sense because they didn't have the spring to do a lot of install, um, so come the, the Navy game, don't expect a lot of, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't necessarily know. And I guess we can talk about this a little bit, uh, what a reduced playbook means. Uh, but he definitely mentioned, uh, a reduced playbook. He also mentioned, um, he spoke on allowing players and, um, members of the team, uh, sort of piggybacking off of the efforts that if you've been on social media, you've seen that Notre Dame has done a very good job in allowing their players to, uh, voice themselves and put out their thoughts on, um, the events that are happening in the country right now. And Kelly spoke to how he wants to, you know, expand that out and that his foundation is also, 
um, going to take a more proactive approach in combating systemic racism in this nation, which, um, you know, good on Kelly. There's other coaches, and I, I don't need to, to get into, I don't think we need to get into a whole lot of with that, but there are other coaches in college football right now that are very much not doing that. And Brian Kelly is, and that's nice to see when your head coaches being one of the good guys. And that's, that's nice. Yeah. I just, I, I wanted to ask you, is Brian Kelly wearing any t-shirts that have offended anybody recently? <laughs> um, Greg, have you seen him in any t-shirts? I don't think he wears the t-shirts. I don't think he's a t-shirt guy. <laughs> he's kind I of a polo he, dude, right? He's a, he's whatever guy. Under yeah. Armour or Adidas gives him. And you don't really, you don't really get offensive polos. <laughs> at least in my experience. It doesn't really, it's not really a thing. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, just uh, sliding it off topic, uh, because in the spirit of Joshua, I, I, I was a little, um, well, disappointed, underwhelmed by Chuba Hubbard, uh, from Oklahoma state coming out very strongly against Mike Gundy's wearing of an OAN t-shirt. Um, look, I, I don't know that I have a strong opinion about OAN, but I have strong opinions about, um, unpaid black student athletes using their voices on social media to affect the change they want to see. And five hours later, I'm getting some kind of statement where Gundy's not even apologizing. And yet Chuba Hubbard's apologizing and saying he wasn't a man because he didn't take his grievance directly to Mike Gundy. Um, I just am a whole big bag of confused about that. And he says change is coming, but we didn't hear one single thing that Oklahoma state's going to change within his program, uh, including Mike Gundy's love for, um, possibly writer than Fox News right wing television. I'm not 100 percent sure what OAN is. I just I, I try to read through the lines there. So uh, a little weird, weirded out. And also to bring it back to Notre Dame, uh, as Brennan mentioned, uh, people like Dale and Hayes and Braden Lindsay and Max Siegel, um, you know, using their their voices and their platforms to um, talk about what it means to be a black student athlete at Notre Dame to to be a black man in America. Uh, um, I think it's just been, a, uh, a nice, um, a, a nice, uh, antidote to kind of the stuff that we're hearing, the toxic situations we're hearing in, uh, Utah, Iowa, Oklahoma state, et cetera, et cetera. Would you, would you agree with that, Greg? Um, yeah, you know, I, it's funny you said that about Chuba Hubbard, cause I was thinking the same thing. Um, I was like, wow, that's interesting. Like how it just kind of like, Hey, we, we, I guess we had a conversation and, and you know, now we're shooting a video together. I, I personally, whatever, like whatever is fine with Chuba Hubbard, like it's their team, it's their situation. I don't really know. Um, so I don't, you know, it, it was weird to me, but you know, that's their team and that's his coach. Whatever's good with him is, you know, fine with me. He spoke his mind about it and, and that's, you know, that's good enough. I think for on the Notre Dame piece, you know, we are always, we're always critical of players, you know, during the season when they give these answers to questions that are like, we feel are canned or, or just kind of watered down and, and boilerplate type things. And that's about, you know, college football and what play they ran in this game or how the practice went or whatever. And now there's like a real thing that's going on in the nation and it's pretty much gripped everyone. And look, if you're going to, if you're going to be outspoken about anything, 
be outspoken about something that you care about, you know, and I, I try to share the message, right? I, I don't, I don't want to, um, you know, necessarily put my beliefs onto them or anything like that. Um, it's just, it's nice to see that, that they feel like they have the freedom to speak on things that are important to them. And that's what, what college is. Um, you know, we always talk about student athletes and all that other stuff, you know, they're college players, but they should be able to voice themselves without feeling like they're going to be, I don't want to say censored, but you know, we saw a report about Iowa. They have you know one pre-approved text a week or a day or whatever that was. Yeah. It's like, what are you, what is that? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that, I mean, for lack of a better way to put it, I'm, I'm proud of the way that the football team and the university at large has handled it. And on, in situations like that, I try not to be too, you know, about the university cause I, I didn't attend. So it's really not for me to say, I'm just a sub alum. I, I enjoy the football team and that's, you know, the basis for my fandom, but you know, I do follow them and, and my wife was an alum. And so it's just, it's just nice to see that they're, they seem to be allowing their players to be themselves and say the things that they feel. Yeah. I mean, I guess if, if I can, you know, nitpick a little bit, it's still managed, right? It's still, it's still being filtered through the social media department and they're adding some graphics and video and stuff like that. And, oh, yeah. and so, you know, the spin is that they're helping to amplify the players' voices, which Undoubtedly, when you use your Notre Dame football Twitter account or your Fighting Irish Twitter account to retweet the players, then and you're giving them a snazzy graphic, you are amplifying their voices. But they're still not talking directly to the to the media. And I think that Notre Dame, for whatever reason, has had a has a, had a longstanding policy about trying to manage their players. And there's only certain players who can talk to the media, and at certain times, and you know certain topics. And, you know, to be honest with you, the thing that I loved about this is like, you're never going to hear from Max Siegel during the, during the year. He's a walk-on, you know, um, yeah. Brayden Lindsay is going to be asked about a reverse play. He's not going to be asked about black lives matter or, you know, what, what action he took to, to, you know, better his community or, or to improve South Bend or relationships between campus and, and, you know, the community or whatever and stuff like that. So, um, I love hearing from these guys and I really think that there's a lot of interesting stories to tell. And I really always have faulted Notre Dame for not allowing these stories to be told. So I guess this is a baby step in the right direction. Um, I just, you know, I think it was Ian Williams who mentioned this um, maybe in Pete Sampson's story today, uh, or maybe it's Catherine Lewis Moore. One of them said, Hey, look, it's great that you're saying this now, but let's hear it in September and October when the games are being played, you know, let's, Let's let's be taught. Let, let's Braden Lindsay thing. By the way, I'm happy to talk to you about my, you know, 68 yard touchdown reception. But I also want to tell you about something that I did this week that meant more to me than than, um, you know, than an individual achievement on the football field. And that was X, Y and Z, you know. So, I mean, I'm I, old enough to remember 2015 when Dabo Sweeney put a band as players from being on social media. Do you remember that? I do. So I, we've come a long way in just the last five years and, and that kind of thing. And 
It's, yeah, uh, but it doesn't sound like Iowa came very far since they were they were one <laughs> pre-approved tweet a month, and then they backed off on that once that became public. I mean, I think part and parcel of this, if I can if I can switch topics on you guys for a second, um, you know, there was a lot of huffing and puffing about Ohio State um, asking every all their players to sign. I guess it's not a waiver, but people were treating it like a waiver. Um, basically, a you know piece of paper, a document that basically got into what was expected of them, you know, and lawyers were saying, well, this was, this wouldn't shield them from liability, but it sure sounded like you were asking a bunch of players to say, I accept all the, the possible ramifications that this can happen to me. And if I don't sign this piece of paper, then I don't get to practice. And I think that's a, you know, I think that's another troubling thing, which is, you know, Brian Kelly was a, I think it was in during the zoom call said, you know, people don't feel comfortable. We'll talk to them, but we're not forcing anybody to come back for these voluntary workouts. I think we've learned for a long time, these voluntary workouts, are not voluntary. I mean, if you, I don't know that they would pull your scholarship, but you're definitely not going to keep yourself in the esteem of the coaches, um, by saying, Hey coach, I'm worried about COVID-19 and therefore I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stay in, I'm going to stay in place, shelter in place in California instead of come back to campus. Well, and if you're a player too, I, I think one underestimated component too is a lot of us are, you know, uh, some of us are in our mid thirties, some of us are in our forties and <laughs> mid forties. Um, it's not mid. I just turned 40, you bastard. Uh, <laughs> it was more like shots across the bow to uh, uh Supreme warlord. Um, but no. Uh, so we certainly, we look at it a lot differently, but if you're you don't know, 18, 19, 20 year old kid. And you've been cooped up all summer. Uh, it's uh, inside your parents, or I guess all spring inside your parents' house. You're probably chomping at the bit for a lot of these kids. And, and you have to assume that, um, a lot of those Ohio state players, I don't know if it's like, you don't want to get on the coach's bad side as much as it is like, you don't want to feel like you're getting left behind developmentally. Right. Yeah. As far as getting into that strength and conditioning and just like trying to, cause I mean, kids, they just want to play. I would imagine. Yeah. And, 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 and to be, to be quite honest, I don't blame any kid who, who signs that without a second thought, because I'll tell you what, I, I don't know if you guys felt differently, but between the ages of 18 and 22, I felt invincible. There was no, there was no disease or flu that was going to keep me down. Uh, I had mono when I was in college um, and, you know, I felt like shit, but I still went to classes and I still hung out with my friends and stuff like that. So it was just, um, you just kind of, you just kind of slog through, you know, and you just kind of keep going. And I'm not saying mono is the same as COVID-19, but at the same time, you just, you don't think it's going to happen to you. And if it happens to you, it's, it's going to be no big deal. So I get the whole signing it. I, I just like, I, I just think that one of the things that we've learned this past two weeks is that players have a lot of leverage that they never ever take advantage of and they just so willingly give it back to the coaches for for minimal gains for scraps and i just um it it always just perplexes me that that we've gotten so far and yet we haven't gotten so far it's probably because they trust them because they trust the coaches yeah 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 i mean they, they you know that's how they that's you're recruited by them if you have a good locker room, then you trust the coaches that you trust. They'll put you in a, a, a good position. And I agree with you guys. Like I would, I would, I would play, I would sign anything if I was a kid. 
Like as as someone who just turned thirty nine, like I get, <laughs> I get, I get, I get Brendan's point. Like I, I, you know, I have three kids. I'm a dad. It's a little bit different. Um, but when I was, you know, eighteen, twenty two, I, I would be like, just tell me when we should be back because I'm ready to go. I mean, these are the most some of the most fit people in the country. Yeah, they're not worried about they're you know, they're reading things in um. You know, they're reading things in the paper about pre-existing, you know, problems and comorbidities and things like that. They're not thinking about that. They're thinking about like, hey, when's Bama getting back? We need to get back. Like, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And not just that. They've been working out at home for three months. They didn't do that for nothing. They've been working. They didn't do all that just to not not play. We've seen – Kyle Hamilton's Rocky Four training setup in his garage. <laughs> Listen, I don't want to talk about how maybe I've viewed all of those videos multiple times. <laughs> but looking but, for scraps of information from one minute and twenty seven second videos. <laughs> but I do have a, a Google Excel spreadsheet about about what he was um, what he was bench pressing when it started and what is bench pressing when it ended. What tension band is he up to now? <laughs> he's on the he's on the heavy heavy tension. Uh, um, just bringing it back to the the young invincibles for a second. I don't know if you guys caught the Pot of Gold podcast this week, but Sweet. they had on uh, David Lacey, who's uh, Jacob's father, and uh, I did hear that. Yeah, David. Uh, just for recapping for our, our listeners who didn't get to hear it. He um, he suffered through COVID nineteen and and uh, I believe was hospitalized. Um, but basically, uh, you know, he had it for a while. So Jacob got a front front row view. Well, actually, they had to be separated. So Jacob got somewhat of a, a view of his father yeah. through this whole thing. And I think the last or second to last question was, has this caused Jason, uh, Jason, Jacob, any pause uh, about going back? And David just laughed and said, no, man, he's he's hungry. He, he wants to get back out there. Uh, you know, he's tired of you know, working out at home, he wants to be back on campus, you know, working out with his brothers and playing, you know, and getting, getting after it. So I, you know, I don't know. Can you extrapolate that to 85 kids? I think so. I, I think that that's probably a pretty common uh, feeling. You know, I think we're all kind of saying the same thing, which is, um, you know, Notre Dame hasn't asked their players to sign anything, any kind of waiver or any kind of release or anything like that. And I don't know that they intend to, um, but the, the kids just want to get back after they just want to, they want to get here. They want to get going, um, you know, get the test done and let's get back on the field and start hitting each other. I would yeah. like to point out that pot of gold, uh, should give us some residuals, uh, one foot down residuals for their podcast. Cause we supply them with like half their questions cause you were on it. I was on it and so was, uh, so was Patrick. Yeah, well, I asked Josh's question cause Josh had asked, the, um, Notre Dame and he got a real kind of like. Vague answer, yeah. which was uh, the status of Isaiah Robertson because he's not listed on the roster. And, and apparently I'd missed it. But um, as Notre Dame had pointed out, Brian Kelly in his first press conference of the summer said Isaiah was tending to some academic things. And that's why he wasn't on the roster, which is a really curious thing if he's just he's attending to one academic thing and he'll be back. Right. So well, my question, I guess my follow up to that is. What does that mean? I don't know. It would be a question, I guess, for Brian Kelly is, so Isaiah needed to work on some academic things. This semester was buck wild academically. 
So if it was a pass fail scenario, that's not something you can't boost your GPA with a pass fail. Right. So I don't know. Well, uh, Notre Dame announced today that the uh, Notre Dame football team got the highest GPA of any semester in program history, 3.4. So I, I don't know how they come up with those numbers. Um, but I'm, I'm, I guess I'm not at all surprised that this would be the highest um, grade in the program history because it just anecdotally, and I have nothing to prove this, it just seems like that the teachers weren't expecting this. So they were kind of adjusting on the fly and some of the workload might've been a little bit easier because there weren't distractions that you typically get with the college experience, whether it be for your foot, you know, your football thing or, you know, just from your friends or whatever. Um, so it might've been a little bit easier to focus in on work and the work might've been a little bit easier to do remotely because the, the professors were also trying to feel out how much workload they could handle. Um, you know, maybe without their TAs or, or whatever. So I guess I'm not real surprised that, that the grades were, were good. I'm obviously real happy that the grades were good. But I guess I, when I heard that, I said, oh, well, good for them. But I guess it wasn't too too surprising. Would that be fair? Greg, you got three kids, right? I have three. Jude, you got two? Mm-hmm. And your kids are in school, right? Yep. Uh, what are your early returns on digital semester in the, uh, uh, <laughs> in these, the, you know, the final third of the year? Well, I, I got to tell you, just speaking um, from from my experience, I've got a five year old who's going to repeat kindergarten because he's um, he's de- he's developmentally delayed in, in, in some aspects and nothing that we're terribly concerned about. But he's just he's just a, he's just doing it at his own pace. And I got to be honest with you, I felt like he and his teacher gave us this feedback, too. So I think it's real. I felt like he got more one on one time with the teacher or more focus and we certainly had a better understanding of what his strengths and weaknesses were because we were working with him every single day. Um, you know, we could see what he could adapt to and what frustrated him and sort of understood him. I felt like we understood him a lot better. Um, you know, the seven year old, he just, he acts like everything's too easy for him. And I, I don't know that that's the case, but, uh, he might fake it very well, but, um, you know, it comes easier to him than it comes to his brother. But at the same time, uh, I, I think I was grateful for the opportunity. I, I'm not I wasn't thrilled that we had to take over the teaching responsibilities and, and you know, as a, with doing our jobs at the same time. But uh, we did get a slight repeat from our jobs. And my, my wife is a teacher, so she had uh, multiple responsibilities of not only to her own students, but then kind of being a surrogate teacher for her own children. So. That was kind of an interesting experience. Greg, you're a teacher, right? So yeah, you, I was, you had a doubly. I, I was in uh, I was in Jude's wife's boat. I mean, uh, our our oldest, she's she's five, but she starts kindergarten um, this next year. So she was doing a lot. Of, she did a lot of Zoom calls with her her preschool and things like that. Um, she it was good in the beginning, and then at the end, she she didn't like it. She didn't like the. Um, she didn't like the that it was a substitute. She kind of wanted the real thing, oh, and right. sh- so she started to kind of um, pull back from, you know, the different Zoom calls and the different activities they had them doing because she didn't want to kind of accept that, like, hey, this is how it's going to be. She was kind of rebelling at against <laughs> it at the end. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, and then the the little ones are just <laughs> they were. 
in La La Land, right? Yeah, they were just, you know, destroying the house. I mean, I finally have been able to get the house clean after like three months of just being with them. I told, I was, I was telling my wife, I mean, we were, you're with the kids 24 seven for three straight months. It's just like not anything you're prepared for. We were all together. You know, my wife's been here the whole time. I've been here the whole time. It's just not anything I was prepared for. But on the point that Jude, you were making about the GPA being higher. Yeah. So I I don't, and I don't know, this is true. You're not going to, if you're a player and you're borderline, right? You're borderline like C or whatever. You'll take the pass fail. But if you're getting a better grade, you're getting a B or an A, well, then you'll take the grade because you can do that. So it's like self-selecting then. Yep. And it gets but I don't think where... the I don't think that if you take the pass fail, it affects your GPA positively or negatively. So if you does that bump. Right. So it lowers the denominator, right? Yeah. Divide by the number of students who actually recorded grades. Because I saw Texas recorded their highest GPA ever. Did you see what their highest GPA? It was like <laughs> two point eight or something. Well, that was from last. That was from 2019 that I pulled. But yeah, uh, that was good. Yeah. That's right. But they were very. I mean, just imagine tooting your horn over the program best record of 2.89 GPA. It's like, ah, son, that's not even low honors. You know, like <laughs> you don't even get to. You don't get a tassel at graduation for that. You know. So I just thought it was funny, but. Um, okay. Uh, there's plenty to talk about tonight, but there's a couple of topics that Greg specifically wanted to talk about that we're excited to talk to Greg about. Um, one of the things that we've been looking at, I think all of us probably here and there are these, um, college previews, uh, whether they're, you know, actual physical magazines like an Athlons or a Lindy's or Phil Steele or something like that, or the, you know, kind of extensive things that the athletic or, you know, state of the program or ESPN puts together. Um, I'm just going to throw out a couple of things that I saw and I just want to have you guys react to it as it relates to Ian book. Um, I believe there was a Heisman draft, if I recall correctly from the athletic, maybe a week or two ago. And oh, Ian book was picked in like, I don't know. It was the final round. I believe it was the sixth round. And it was like a, you know, a third or fourth pick in the sixth round amongst, I think it was like maybe six or seven athletic writers. And the, the write-up was like, I'm going to just take a flyer. Cause you know, this guy's the quarterback in Notre Dame. Notre Dame's always in the, in the, you know, the, the spotlight. So I, I guess, you know, quarterback Notre Dame, like, and some weird ass picks got picked before him. So that was a weird thing. And then I think it was the like ESPN that said he was like a game manager. Maybe that wasn't ESPN, but there was, there was like kind of a, like their tier system or whatever. Uh, so anyways, I just wanted, I'm just very confused about who Ian book is apparently now after reading all this stuff. And I was wondering maybe if Greg could help me shed, shed some light on, uh, what, what are our expectations for, for Ian book, um, for, for next year and, and who's gotten it real wrong? Well, okay. So there's expectations and then there's like just reality of like who he is and what he's done. Like, I don't understand I, I felt like the whole logic, like you're talking about, um, I was listening to the Shamrock and um, Matt Fortuna was talking about, cause he was part of the draft mm-hmm. and he was talking about why he didn't pick him. 
and he didn't think that, oh, he's put up pretty good numbers in the past, so if he puts up good numbers again, how is he going to create Heisman hype when he hasn't done that before? What are you talking about? If Ian Book had had thrown a touchdown pass on the final drive against Georgia, he absolutely would have been in the Heisman conversation, just like period. That is just a fact, okay? He would have been, his team would have been what? A top five team, top yeah. three, top four team. I mean, they beat number three, Georgia, on the road. He throws a game-winning touchdown pass. You're telling me he's not a top three. So, like, if he beats Wisconsin, if he, you could give him the same stats as last year. He beats Wisconsin, he beats Clemson. He, he, is he not going to New York? Guaranteed. I think that not only is he going to New York, but he's probably winning the damn thing because he's he, he might, he might, he's he's a favorite to win. I, I just don't get it. Like, how can you say? How can you say? Oh, it, like like Jamar Chase. Look, look, Jamar Chase is a great player. Who's throwing okay. him the football? Well, let's use the same logic, right? What what stats is Jamar Chase going to put up that were better than last year? when he had the greatest quarterback season <laughs> in the history of the sport. Yeah. And was he in New York? No, he was not. So I, I like, how do you, how do you, and they were undefeated and won the national championship. Uh, Jamar chase is a great player. Okay. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from him. Yeah. I'm saying the logic is. When was the last wide receiver to win a Heisman trophy? Exactly. You want Jamar chase over, Ian book. Like it just doesn't like the more egregious one to be ahead of him was the, the, so he did take, um, so well, the, the offensive tackle for Oregon, cause we're going to put Matt Fortuna a little bit on blast. Cause he's supposed to be out for us. He's supposed to be pounding our drum, but in the fourth round. So the second left draft, he did draft a quarterback and it was Sean Clifford, the quarterback of Penn state. Okay. Incredible. It's <sighs> just, I mean, Sean Clifford, yes. He his stat line last year was 59% completion, 2600 yards, 23 touchdowns, 7 picks. That is demonstratively worse than Ian Book, who was 60%, 3K, 34 and 6. So because yeah. Sean Clifford didn't have as good a season as Ian Book, that means that he's in better Heisman contention, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I think, look at look at what got Brady Quinn to New York. I mean, I just I can't I can't imagine this is difficult. Look, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say Ian Book's going to win the Heisman, but I also think it's ridiculous when somebody calls him a game manager. You know, like it's just that's that's ludicrous to me. Uh, you just said this. You just said the stats. I mean, um, I, look, I haven't admittedly looked at all of these to see if this this matches up, but Brady Quinn held like thirty some records for Notre Dame quarterback records like yeah. Ian book. Like he plays a full 12, thir- 13 game season this year. Uh, some of those records are going to Ian book and you're not calling him a game manager. You never called Brady Quinn a game manager. You know, that's, that's just this. When I think of game manager, I think of, uh, I think my Dane Christ, Dane, uh, well, when I think of a game manager, I think of Trent Dilfer, right. Trent of the 2000, the 2000 Raven. Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. Where you're just, you're just there. But 
I mean, what was game managery about Ian Book? Um, you know, you could you could think maybe some components of him, but like he didn't have a running game last year. I mean, game manager to me sounds like this is this guy is only marginally better than the guy who backs him up. You know, right. like a Tommy Reese, Andrew Hendricks thing before we realized t- Andrew Hendricks just threw worm burners, you know, like everybody was like, oh, Andrew Hendricks or whatever. And you're just like, because Tommy is a game manager and you brought Andrew in and he couldn't, com- he couldn't complete a pass. Right. So it's like, okay, well now we got something different here. Right. Like Ian book. I don't think anybody's sitting there going, well, is Ian book just a little bit better than Brendan Clark? Like, I don't think anybody's wondering that. Or is anybody wondering that? Look. Game managers don't aren't second on the team in rushing. Okay, look, Ian Book had a better statistical season than Brady Quinn in two thousand six in twenty nineteen. I read an article about that. I wrote that article. I I wrote the article, (laughs) and 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 Jude Seymour of One Foot Down (laughs) gave me this whole list of stats, and and Ian Book was more explosive than Brady Quinn. He accounted for more first downs. He had a ton more rushing yards and look, and I said before, and I said in the article, it's not about him being quote unquote better than Brady Quinn. No one would ever have called Brady Quinn a game manager, right? You can't call Ian book game manager. He was second on the team in rushing with 500 yards. Okay. He, he had several games. There are several times when, I mean, you, you can't even say like the entire season is on his shoulders. It just is for better or worse. You, you could tell me, you could talk to me about his ceiling. If you want, if you want to do that, we can talk about that. That's fine. But just don't give me the game manager stuff. He isn't, he's running the show. So against Virginia tech, which was a game that the whole team didn't play particularly well. If Ian book, Ian book wins that game. That's not managing the game, right? I mean, the, the they ran for 38 they ran 38 times against Virginia Tech for 106 yards. So, it wasn't a great game offensively, but Ian Book didn't manage that game. He managed to win the game, <laughs> right? I, I mean, I it just, wasn't a I, I, I don't know. I I guess you know, and I, I've been wrong about this before. I was I was hot and bothered in the beginning of the 2018 season because Athlon put out like the 25 best quarterbacks in college football and Brandon Wimbush wasn't on the list. And they had some, like some guys and I was like, and I, and I famously said, Kyler Murray, like the guy's done nothing, you know? And it's, (laughs) you know, okay. I I wish I had that one back. You know what I mean? Like, uh, who is this Baker Mayfield? No. Um, uh, but you know, like, I don't know what makes people fall in love with Clayton Thorson. You remember when Clayton Thorson like was in people's way too early mock drafts as like a first round pick or whatever? Like, mm. is it just like Clayton Thorson's a big tall guy who has a big arm or whatever? Like, is that all we're just is that all we're doing? We're just looking at we're just looking at roster sizes mm. and stuff and saying, well, Ian Book's too short to be an NFL player and therefore he can only be a game manager. Like, where do people come up with this stuff? I, I, are they watching the games? I guess that's what I want to know. It's just because, I mean, look, there's the whiteness. You can put that out there. Yeah, that's but what it is. I mean, we do fall in love with white quarterbacks, though. I don't we, I don't think we have a problem falling in love with white quarterbacks. Right? Mel, Kiper, it's, it's, Mel it's, Kiper does have a thing for six foot three plus white quarterbacks. It's, yeah. it's the whiteness plus the size. Like, he's small. It, 
It's the size. Yeah, right? Yeah. So he's small and not a high draft pick. If you're a high draft pick, you're not a game manager. Right. But if if you're if you're small and a white guy and it's just it's just the same thing, dude. It's just the same thing as when um when Pat Hayes says that every white player who tries hard at Notre Dame wants to play <laughs> two games in a row. That's right. <laughs> he wants to play a doubleheader. It's the same thing. Like it's Rocky just, it's just putting someone in a box. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he does bring his lunch pail to the game. I mean, is he and Mr. He's a gym dependable? rat. Mr. He's dependable. He's Mr. Mr. Dependable. <laughs> uh, Ian Book. You might say Ian Book is deceptively fast. Right. He's he's sneaky quick. He's definitely fast. Uh, well, deceptively. He's just fast. He's deceptively, yeah. fast. He's deceptively I mean, fast. Coach's son. Coach's son, what. hard worker. First one in, <laughs> last one out. Oh, God. Student of the game. All right, I got to break this up because you're making me sick with all the cliches here. Um, the other thing that, that Greg brought up, which I think is good, is there seems to be a disconnect um, between how the returning offensive line is viewed on a national level and how the returning offensive line is viewed by, uh, for lack of a better term, a local level, like the, the, me- the beat media versus the national media. And again, I don't know if this is just a Phil Steele, oh, look at all the players returning. Look how many starts they have. Look how many snaps they've done. Look how many, um, you know, look how big and strong they are. Look how many pounds that, you know, and look how many guys for were on the Joe Moore award-winning team. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what it is about um, – you know, O-line you, the reputation that Notre Dame has kind of on a national level, and then pair that with Jeff Quinn ought to be fired. Um, the offense looked out of sorts, and it's Jeff Quinn's fault, and Chip Long wasn't the problem. It was Jeff Quinn, and he didn't have those guys ready, and, you know, the injuries be damned or whatever. Apparently, injuries didn't, weren't a thing uh, that, that paused, caused, uh, you know, problems or whatever, but Greg, how do you how do we square this circle? Like, how, why is it why why are we why are why is there such a hyper negative focus locally, uh, which doesn't seem to to exist nationally? Because because they want it because Notre Dame fans want it one way. If you, if you're not a great run blocking offensive line, then you're not a great offensive line. Is that just, just like period. the Lou Holtz in us? That's the, the, yeah, of course. Of okay. course. That's it's it's like that's how it was done. That's how they won championships in, you know, the late eighties. <laughs> I'll say championships because eighty eight and then eighty nine and, and ninety three, they all count. I'm on the one foot down podcast after all. Amen. So so but that's how they won games. And so and like I said before, it's very and I and I, I think I tweeted this. It's very easy to to give credit to a, a run blocking offensive line because it's directly it just happens, right? You open the hole, the running back runs through the hole, and there and you see the hole. They diagram it. Some guys getting thrown on the ground, and that's great, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're a good pass blocking offensive line, you need things beyond your control. You need the quarterback to make the right read. You need the quarterback to make a good throw, and you need for the receiver to make the catch. It can't get broken up or whatever. You know, when, when Ian book stands back there and, you know, he's throwing incompletions or whatever, he's looking the wrong way. No one's like, everyone's like the passing game stinks. Why can't we run the ball? 
it's like not knowing, like not like noting that, oh, by the way, he's standing back there by himself or if he runs out of a clean pocket or something like that. And when I put in the tweet, you can take the, the rankings and I used football outsiders because they rank the offensive lines um, in college. And if you look at the rankings, they are basically the inverse from what they were with Harry Heastan. Harry Heastan was a very good run blocking, had very good run blocking offensive lines. And, you know, the pass blocking numbers were in the 80s, 90s, 100s. Now the run blocking is in, you know, the 80s, 90s, sometimes the 70s. But the pass blocking is in the teens, the single digits or the like, the you know, the top 30, something like that. They are a good offensive line. They are not doing the things that Notre Dame fans want to see. Now, I, I, they it, and that's not to say they don't need to be better. They do, right? In the best of both worlds, you're top 30 in all of them. But I think that people people look at not being able to block, you know, be dominant in the run game, and we can talk about why that is, right? If it's scheme or if it's, um, you know, running back talent or something else, that's fine, right? Or if it's sloppiness in the running game, maybe they're not as aggressive, maybe they're not being coached that way um, like they were before. That's a fine conversation to have. But for some reason, and it goes the same way with Ian Book, is that Notre Dame fans are, they have this idea that they they don't have a good football team. Like they don't have a good quarterback (laughs) and they don't have a good offensive line coach and they don't have an offensive line that performs very well. And it's like, why do you think that? Why do you, what, where are you getting this from? You you have a good team. They're they're good. I was wondering. They, They only gave up 16 sacks last year. Which is ridiculous. Do you know how many sacks they gave up in 2017, the year they won the the Outland Trophy? Uh, or whatever. No. The Joe Moore Award. Yeah, the Joe Moore Award. Do you know how many? You know, how many, you know how many sacks they gave up when they won the um, uh, Bob Davy uh, <laughs> commencement. Uh, he fired him trophy. Stop. They gave up More 30 sacks. They gave up 30 sacks in 2017. 30. They were 87th in the nation in sacks allowed. So and some of that's on quarterback, right? Because right. he look, certainly gets the ball out of his hand and doesn't sort of dance around like Wimbush. But I mean, even in 2018, um, they they gave up 25 sacks. Last year they only gave up 16. That's good, right? Right? Isn't that good to not get sacked? And it some of those sacks, some of those sacks could be Ian Book. Uh, who has a propensity of running out of bounds, uh, scrambling and running out of bounds for a one-yard loss. Right, right. But one of the things I wanted to ask you, Greg, is when you do the when you do the reviews of the games, are you looking at the way – I think you are, so that's why I'm asking you. Are you looking at the way that the the run develops, and are you kind of mentally assigning, okay, that one's on the offensive line because they missed their – they missed, you know, they should have pulled or they should have pushed or they should have they should have run this guy this way or that that way and not on the running back who, I don't know, hit the hole, got too green, hit the hole early versus or, or cut back when he shouldn't have or didn't didn't let his blockers, you know, uh, set up for him and, and, and tripped over something like are, are you doing that kind of mental assignment? And, and where does it shake out running backs versus offensive line in terms of? who kind of blows up the play and makes it not work? Um, 
I mean, I, I do look for that. Usually it's not, not during the game, but afterwards I'll, I'll watch that stuff because I like to. And I mean, I did in college, so, um, you know, just used to watching film. So and it's, it's just one of those things where where I, and I felt like this last year, I felt like the way that the offensive line run blocked is they were the type of offensive line that needed a back to, I guess, for lack of a better word, like they needed a back to enhance their game, to make them look better. And the backs were such that they needed the offensive line to make them look better. And so, you know, that's a bad combination. I think that if Dexter Williams is is the running back last year or Josh Adams, then we we just don't have we just don't, like we're not having this discussion. And we don't rush like twelve times against Georgia and we don't rush, you know, however how awful we did against Michigan. Like it just goes different. And not just that those teams respect the running game a lot more and that opens yeah. up everything from there. I mean, when, when, when Dexter enters the lineup against Stanford, everything changes. It all changes. Yeah. So <laughs> Notre Dame's know, offense it, was two cars in a roundabout, both of them allowing the other to have the right away. And then it's just standstill traffic. Like, no, 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 you go first. No, 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 you go first with the running back and, and offensive line. Yeah, I mean, you can you can tell me like you, that Tony Jones did not get drafted. No, he might make a team, maybe. He's not. He's not a. He's not the kind of person. It's like, hey, this is the guy we're going to take to Georgia, and this is how we're going to beat the number one defense in SP plus. You know, is Jafar Armstrong thing. is Jafar Armstrong. Well, who was injured at the time, but is Sebo Flumister or Jameer Smith? Players who are going to get drafted at this particular point? No, no. And they, and 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 you wouldn't you wouldn't think that. Now look, it's not that they need that, right? It's not like you have to have someone. Because look, what was Dexter? A sixth round pick? Six. Yeah. And and Josh was undrafted. So Josh, Josh was undrafted. CJ was a second things? round. No, what, what was uh, what was Procise? Procise third, I believe. Third round. Yeah, he third was round. Third round. Yeah. You put, you put CJ Procise on the team last year. And tell me how bad the offensive line is. Okay, you won't. Because that's a, just a different caliber of running back. You put that caliber of running back back there, and a little crease is all that's needed. You don't need to hold, you don't need to hold a hole. You don't need to drive, you don't need to be as dominant. Right? So, so go ahead. So let's let's project forward then, because you've you've already mentioned it. Hey, let's you know, put these guys from the past on the, the team and look how different it could be. Let's look at 2020. The entire offensive line is back, I believe. Um, Six and, starters. Yeah, and and not only yeah. do we have a similar cast of characters in the running back room, but we've now added uh, Trevor Spates. Spites? How do I say this? Spates. Spates. Okay. Third pronunciation. I'm going to get it right by by. I'm in preseason form. Trevor Spites from uh, from Stanford, and you've also added Chris Tyree, right? So, what? Now, now try to put on put your your crystal ball uh, or your your swami hat on and tell me what you think this looks like. How does this make the offensive line look different in 2020? 
Well, Brent, Brendan, you you go on a Chris Tyree. You do. That. <laughs> I'll back you up. Uh, so Chris Tyree needs to touch the football at least five to ten times every football game. <laughs> Preferably ten against Clemson. <laughs> uh, it, it, he needs to touch the ball ten against Clemson, assuming that they can have more than sixty-five. If they have more than sixty-five touches against Clemson in November, he should be touching the ball ten times. Like if Notre Dame has seventy-five plays against Clemson. He needs to touch the ball 10 times. Um, but you have a healthy Jafar, right? You have a uh, Kyron Williams should be acclimated. Um, whatever happened last year happened. Uh, he should be acclimated. You have Trevor Spates as you're, I guess, vying for a power back role. But, and then there's the, the combo of Sebo and Jameer Smith. Um, there's a lot of people in the running back room, but, Chris Tyree needs to touch the ball 10 times. He's the fastest player on the roster at, once he steps on campus, hoping that he comes in, hoping, 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 hoping he comes into uh, on to campus in shape because um, he hasn't he's never met. Uh, yeah, he has not seen as a Notre Dame student, uh, Matt Bayless. So I don't know what that's going to look like. But if he comes into to campus in shape, um I'm not crazy to say that he should touch the ball five to 10 times. Right. No, <laughs> no, I, t- I look, I told Jude this. When did I tell you this Jude? Was it like oh, December? God. Yeah, it's been, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a hot minute. Put, put, put the good players in the game, especially right. at running back. Now, listen, you, you are Notre Dame. What is their What is there? Um, recruiting situation at running back right now it's not it's good. going great it's going great <laughs> not good not great bob not great, great, bob. Bob. Not great bob. <laughs> you can't so here's the thing you you were trying to you were trying to get will shipley you did it right you're, now you're trying to get um donovan edwards okay you're trying to get a couple other players it you don't sign chris tyree who everyone agrees is you know let's call him top 100 player because he was he was a five star until like the last rankings, but whatever's fine. He, let's call him a top one hundred player. You get a guy like that. If you don't play him, then you will not get running backs. Okay, you get a talent like that, you will not get running backs. You recruited him. That that is Lance Taylor's guy. He runs a he has a skill set unlike anyone else on that roster. Okay, no one else is running four three seven at running back. You get him the ball. You find a way. You play the good players. It's just like Kyle. You get Kyle, uh, you know, oh, we have returning safeties. They're senior captains. You put Kyle in the game and you tell him, hey, go do stuff. And he does stuff. That's what you have to do. You do that with Chris Tyree. He has to touch it all the time. He has to be in the game. He has to be in the game plan. Lance Taylor you you sold everyone on on the Christian McCaffrey stuff. Well, let's see it. I'm ready. Give him the ball. I mean, DeAndre Swift in the SEC championship game as a freshman ran the ball seven times for 88 yards and a touchdown, and he caught the ball three times for 17 yards. That's ten and touches. That's, and that's with Sony Michelle and uh, Ty, and, or, uh um, Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb. Yeah. You get him in the game. Players with speed, the football. I, uh, big I've, games. I've been reading a lot about, uh, not a lot, but some about Tim Brown 
And, you know, Jerry Faust, he, he played for Jerry first, right? In 84 was his first season. And Jerry put him in as a kick returner. And Timmy coughed up the ball. I think it was Purdue the opening game, and it cost him the football game. But Jerry was like, look, you got a talent like that. Like, you can't keep him on the sideline. We got to find a way for him, you know, to get in. And he had minimal touches in 84 and 85. But then Luke came around and he said, like, look, the one thing I've got to do is get this guy the ball more, you know. And and so 86 really set up what 87 became. Um, And I, I just I wonder if it's like, you know, I think the rap on Kelly has always been that he's been kind of slow to recognize the talent that he has on his team among the freshmen. But the fact that Kyle Hamilton was able to not only insert himself into the lineup, but also be successful, I think bodes well for Chris Tyree getting a similar shot and perhaps proving himself at a, at a kick return or punt return position, maybe even before he establishes himself as a, as a running back. Right. Greg, how much was Kyle on the field in November? Compared to, like, September. But, I mean, compared to September, uh, how much was he on the field? Probably more. I assume more. I don't have snap counts, but it seemed like he was out there, you know, more than he had been. Because it seemed like a solid third of the game uh, using downage. Uh, Yeah. But it seemed like he was out there a third of the game by season's end. Right. I mean, they're building game plans around him. You know, they're putting – I mean, they – they they are they they built the whole USC game plan around the fact that he could just play the deep middle and take everything deep away, which he did. And then you know he, they put him on the Stanford tight end. And he gave up a uh, he gave up a couple receptions, or he had a they gave up a he gave up a catch and had a pass interference or a holding it was weak, but whatever. <laughs> and and um and people thought the sky was falling. It's like and that's the thing. It's like that's you you play him. And, 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 you know, we don't have to get into this. You put Kyle Hamilton on offense too. Does he see the field in 2020 on offense? You do it, do it. Listen, you have, when you have players like this, they should have put Jalen on offense. They should have. Do you running back? Put Matt uh, Ty at running back. I was going to say running back or wide receiver and do kind of like a reverse with him. Well, like, what do you, what do you, what, what do you see as the, the position <laughs> that your bro peppers receiver. roll, right? Put him at receiver. Give him a, give him a jet sweep or something. No, throw it to him. Send him on a post. Why not? You, you have good players, right? You have a guy. And it's like, I understand as a freshman, okay, maybe you want to, you want to give him his role. You don't want to give him too much. Okay. But now you have a player like this for three years, you know, he's, you know, the minute he steps on campus, you know, after his first practice, he intercepts three passes. Okay. We have him for three seasons. (laughs) You need to get what you can out of it. I'm not talking about, you know, running him into the ground or anything like that. Okay. You take care of the player. But Kyle Hamilton does not mind if the coach says, hey, come run some plays on offense. He does not mind that. That does not make him upset. That does not make him feel like, oh, they're using me up. They're going to get me hurt or whatever. That's not what happens, okay? Send him over the offense, put him out there, have him run routes. 
My only regret is that he won't be uh, on the roster in 2022 to see if against Boston College, he (laughs) has more picks against Phil Dracovic in the game than he did in that first practice. That's terrible. (laughs) Uh, Gentlemen, we are going to take a break, but when we come back, we are going to talk about another freshman, uh, another wide receiver who could make an immediate impact. So we'll rejoin you after this break. Okay, we're back. Uh, Josh actually left us some questions to to gnaw over. Uh, I believe uh, three of which are legitimate, and one is just kind of for fun. So let's uh, let's get right into it. Um, he wants to know uh, our opinion about Jordan Johnson, whether or not he can have an immediate impact, and also um, sort of some talk about Johnson being under the radar, which seems kind of improbable for a guy who was rated a five star, but. Um, I'll start with I'll start with Greg since he's our our guest here. What do you think about Jordan Johnson's uh, role in 2020? It's a good question. Um, I heard uh, I heard or I've seen Carter Carls talking about the the writer for the South Bend Tribune, Carter Carls. Um, he's talking about how he thought that Jordan Johnson was an overlooked player, and I think that's true. Because I don't, I personally haven't really factored him in to next season. And, and like I, I wrote it, like, you know, Brian Kelly made this comment about a freshman making it like a Kyle Hamilton like impact on offense and defense. I surmise maybe he was talking about the same person, <coughs> Chris Tyree. <laughs> um, but. I didn't even think about Jordan Johnson and he was what, you know, he was a top 40 player, um, five star by some services, five star player. Right. So, you know, and, and I was wondering what I was thinking about, what kind of a comp he was like, what kind of player he is. And I couldn't really think of a Notre Dame player, but I did think of Reggie Wayne for Miami because of the route running. Uh-huh. People talk about he's such a great route runner. He's about 6'2", right? So he doesn't have that extreme height. He doesn't have that extreme speed, but he's 6'2". He runs very good routes. He has very good hands. Um, and, the thing that, and the thing that made people jump out about Lawrence Keyes when he was a freshman is he was a great route runner. Unfortunately, he was really small. And so it was like, I don't know, is it safe to put him out there yet? I don't think Jordan Johnson's going to have that problem given, you know, his 6'2", 180, 185 size. So, I mean, look at you. You have a guy who can get open. And I said from the beginning, like, put him in the slot. Let him work against linebackers and safeties and that sort of thing. Put him against the team. Put our five-star against the team's nickel, you know, and see how that works out. So, you know, get, I, like, like I said before, put the best guys out there. Get creative. And, of course – summer camp is time, some of the times to experiment with this stuff. And it's a lot different this year, right? Yeah. Um, there's not yeah. a, you know, we didn't get, you got one, I think spring practice in Notre Dame's case, uh, when they should have had 15. And then, you know, obviously they haven't been on campus all summer to do the conditioning. They've been doing the conditioning by themselves. So I, I you, there's a lot of variables here that we, that we can't predict, but even having said that, I'm going to put Brendan on the spot and say, Brendan, what would a, reasonable stat line for Jordan Johnson by the end of the year look like well, give me not a rosy scenario but give me like maybe one based in reality like 
how many how many catches how many games does he play in and does he see the end zone I think he probably ends up redshirting. I think he probably ends up with somewhere between six and 15 catches. Um, the problem that he has is that his particular position by receiver, he is staring up at Kevin Austin, right? Mm-hmm. Ben Skoranek, the grad transfer from Northwestern. Um, so he has two players that probably are going to be in front of him for most of the year. So when he's getting into the game, it's going to be in sort of garbage time, garbage, you know, scenarios. And yeah. as far as the slot, I, Lawrence keys is keyed in at the, the slot receiver right now is, I think that's pretty fair. And I, I guess Braden Lindsay is on the, um, the why and is he's going to float between the probably put him in the slot and they have some things that they're going to do with, with tight end. And I don't know how much 11 package with three wide receivers they're going to do because they have Tommy Tremble and Brock Wright and they have incoming, um, five star, I guess the only consensus five star, um, Michael Mayer, right. Mm-hmm. And then George Takis might factor into it as well, but I don't know, six to 15 catches for Jordan Johnson. The one thing that he has going against him is that there is that unicorn of Kevin Austin. Um, there are people who are pretty high on him, right? Sure. Yeah. So, so Greg, do you concur with the idea that maybe he plays four games or fewer and that, and that he's, that he maybe is a standout against Western Michigan, but not maybe uh, appears in a game of real consequence? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say if he comes in and makes like a splash, like if he comes in and people think he's going to, he's a player, he's going to play. Then, sure. then I feel like he'll get inserted. Um, just like, it's kind of the nature of the position. What are your um, thoughts like, on Abdul Rahman? Go ahead. I mean, what are your thoughts on like, uh, Xavier, Xavier Watts? Um, I I loved him. <laughs> um, they all can't play, Greg. You know that, right? <laughs> I know that's the thing. But I loved I loved his I loved his uh, his game. Period. Right. He's the type of player that, like, if he played defense, I wouldn't be stunned about it. Um, he's just he's a really good player. And by the way, they all can be good. Why can't they? Like, I, like I think that I think that people I, I think Xavier Watts is a lot like. Um, Kendall Abdurrahman, right? He, I'm, I'm not. I'm that's someone I'm not super confident about. I'm not super confident. Either. Just but because you don't, you don't, you don't hear anything. No, I, I, I like the idea of him. I, I, I wanted them to put him at running back. They won't because there's 70 of them now. But, <laughs> but, but I wanted them to put him at running back because he put. If you look at his his tape, if you look at his highlights, he's a he's a quarterback. Who they just ran the ball with? I'm like, I don't get it. Put him, put him back there. I mean, if we're just throwing people, you know, if we're taking Jafar and doing it, why not do it with with this kid who he's lightning quick, he's a good long speed. Why not? Um, I mean, not to put, I, I don't know anything about him. I, I don't want to speculate on him, but half I, of the like, successful running backs Kelly has had have been converted something, right? Exactly. From theoretic to. <laughs> Uh, CJ CJ Pro size, yeah. yeah, yeah. So and then Jafar is like they designed a whole game plan around him. So I don't know. I, I but I, 
I think that if he come, if Jordan Johnson comes in and he and he's fit and he's physically ready to go, I mean, I'm trying to think. See, the problem with Kevin Austin in 2018 is he had Boykin and he had Claypool. Yeah. And those guys were they, – he doesn't have anything like that now. And I'm talking about Jordan Johnson. I don't even – I mean, we haven't seen Kevin Austin on a football field since 2018. Ben, ben Skoranek has never stepped foot on Notre Dame's campuses until, what, this week? Right. So, I got, I'm, no, he was there for – was he there I'm for, just for spring practice? If, if evaluations are getting going to get so sucked up in um, Ooh, yeah. conditioning plus, you know, whatever COVID insanity brings us. Right. And that, and that guys who would have otherwise had a chance to uh, at least raise eyebrows in the spring and then maybe show out in the summer are not really going to have that chance. And then, and that the coaches kind of get risk averse and they say, well, we'll go with the guys that got us here. You know, we'll go with the guys that we know are known commodities. And it's and some of the some of the guys you take flyers on. um, They really never get the chance to prove themselves because it's such a weird year or people get sick and they have to stay out games, whether that's the policy or they're just too sick to play. And um, all of a sudden, you know, the bright lights turn on a a guy like Jordan Johnson because, uh, you know, two guys in front of him are you know, quarantine for two weeks. Uh, you know, so there could be, there could be all kinds of weird opportunities. We could be talking about, wow, we never thought so-and-so would play seven games, but it was kind of out of necessity. This, yeah. this season's going to be real. I mean, just in terms of, I don't even, I can't even say for certain, uh, you know, you're going to play a 12 game, a 12 game regular season. You know what I mean? I, I, I oscillate, uh, I vacillate, I guess I would say. I am uh, pumped for the 30 for 30 about this 2020 season that they're going to do <laughs> in, in, in uh, 10 years. And, and, I, and I encourage Greg to remind uh, me and our listeners repeatedly while he's on this podcast about the fact that he came to me uh, in February or maybe early March and said, this game in Dublin is not happening. Right. And I said, Greg, the game is like freaking four months away. Like, you know, why don't you slow your roll here? And then about two weeks later, I was fully in his nah, Dublin's not happening camp. So um, <laughs> things de- things definitely change pretty quickly around here. And I think the one thing that we've said pretty uh, pretty consistently on this podcast is every time we say, oh, this is definitively going to happen or Lambo's not going to happen or whatever, uh, we pretty much get proven wrong right up until the point that you know a decision absolutely has to get made. So uh, we're not going to try to, to do that too much, but... I do want to um, ask you another one of Josh's questions, and this is right in your wheelhouse, which is um, you believe that Kyle Hamilton could play all positions on offense and defense, but at some point they're probably going to push him to one position um, and, and probably play somebody out, uh, beside him. They'll probably not make him do both positions. Uh, I think you think he can do both positions, but let's just let's roll the dice and say that they actually run, run somebody uh, opposite of him. Who do you think that individual would be? Could they play Kyle in the box and deep middle at the same time? Let's think <laughs> about this for a second. It's a multiplicity um, scenario. It, it's very, it's, you know what? I'm not saying no. 
No, um, <laughs> I mean, I saw Jalen Smith. What was it? Wake Forest. There was a pass over the middle, or maybe when he, when he was with Dallas. Yes, it was Dallas, and he ran down a Giants uh, tight end step for step for like forty yards. And I thought maybe he like, hurt your soul. Yeah, maybe he played Jalen Smith in the wrong position. So, anyways, keep going. Yeah. So. Who I think starts next to him? I think it's Houston Griffith. I think he will start. I think uh, I think he and Pryor will play. Um, yeah, is this like I a think, short leash scenario, which is like you somebody makes a boneheaded play or doesn't give one hundred percent effort, and all of a sudden we see the other guy for four games? No, I, I think okay. I think it'll be a rotation. Okay, and it'll be known too. I did this in college, and it actually worked out really well. And the, and the reason. If you know ahead of time, like I'm getting snaps and I know he's getting snaps, right? You actually don't, um, you, you, and it's like your snaps are basic. I mean, you know, like if I, if I keep getting crushed or I keep getting burned or something, then they're going to stop giving me snaps. But, um, I think, I think chemistry wise, it's fine. I think they'll go with Griffith though. Because a, I think they're a little bit they're more invested in him because they recruited him. They tried really hard. I think that the coaches like it when players like Griffith, who he was a top 100 player, he's very highly rated. They like it when they stick it out and have a good attitude about it. Mm-hmm. Everything I've seen from Griffith is that he he sees his lack of playing time at the moment as more of a him thing than him being treated unfairly or anything like that. And coaches really like that. And they, and I, I've only heard good things about the way that he's worked about his attitude and the way that he's looked so far. And that is the type of thing that gets rewarded. So you have, you have his work ethic and you have the fact that the coaches are invested because they were, they recruited him and he signed. And I think he's a good player. So, I think they always saw him as a safety. I think that, you know, things kind of outside their control, they, they tried to move him around and give him a way on the field early that I don't want to say it wasn't in his best interest, but I mean, it just didn't work out for him. Um, I think that they always saw him as a safety. And so he's just going to step in. He's a good fit next to Kyle because he does like to, he's very physical. He likes to move up. I could see him, um, playing closer to the line of scrimmage, kind of like Alohi Gilman did. And so it's a, it's a good compliment. And I think Pryor is similar to that. I just think Griffith is probably a little bit better in coverage. So that's why they'll go with him. Follow up question to that. Is there a desire either conscious or unconscious to, um, to sort of justify the pickup of, of graduate players? Is there, is there, do you think that, the coaching staff makes an effort to give these guys a little bit more latitude um, than they would for a person who's been with their program for a couple of years. I heard what you just said about they like to be proven right about the guys they recruit, but I'm, I'm wondering also if they're subconsciously thinking about down the road saying to a, the next grad transfer, Hey, um, come be the next Nick McLeod, come be the next Cody Riggs, Cody Riggs. Come, yeah. come be the next, um, you know, whoever, and probably not Freddie Canteen or, um, you know, whatever, but who's the um, Arizona state guy. Yes. Yeah, Smith was, was his first cam, cam, cam Smith, cam Smith. Smith. Cam Smith yeah. Yep. Which I always think of the USC guy, cam Smith, who was much better cam Smith. But anyways, <laughs> um, 
is there what do you think is there am i just off base on this or is you think that maybe there is kind of a i mean i would think that answering kind of my own question here for for a second i would think that there's a (laughs) coach taylor probably has a real desire to see uh trevor spates uh succeed because i think he stuck his neck out for this guy right go ahead brendan uh, wait, what was that? I think, think I think Lance Taylor is probably going to go give Trevor Spates maybe more than he deserves, maybe even at least initially, because he is trying to prove how smart this pickup was. Because everyone else is baffled by it, right? Is it, I, I think if, one of the do coaches not do that, or it, I mean, am I reading too much into this? If Lance Taylor's words assault, I don't think that maybe necessarily he wants to prove how smart he was in that case as much. I I don't remember. I think it was on Irish illustrated that I heard it and it was a very poignant um, point, but so look at the 2020. So let's say um, Trevor Spates isn't in, isn't in this locker room. Who is the leader in the Notre Dame running backs room going into 2020? Mick Asaph, obviously, but. Do you, but can a walk on be? No, I, I mean I was I was being facetious, but it's a good question. It's so. Question. Is that why he brought them in? Is because he he's a guy that he think has maybe some sort of leadership qualities, and maybe he doesn't necessarily have a whole lot in terms of um, mileage. Um, but but, but th- does that really work to bring a guy from the outside to to set the culture for the locker room? That's a good question. Maybe. I don't know, Greg. Am I, I off, am I off base here? Is is Coach Taylor going to give Trevor more rope? Oh, God, that's a terrible analogy. I'm not going to do that. Um, is he going to give him a wider latitude um, because of because he's because there's a subconscious or unconscious desire to be proven right about this, or am, is that just not how he operates? Um. I don't, I don't want to speak for Lance Taylor. What I, <laughs> well, would say, so yeah. I, what I would say is, so I would, I could see it more on for Isaiah Pryor than I could okay. see it for Lance Taylor. And the reason is, is because Pryor has started games at Ohio state and he's, he's been, he's been in games for Ohio state and he's played, he's played at a level beyond what, Houston Griffith has played on. Well, that's not necessarily true, actually. Oh, yeah, I don't and, know and, I, and I already think Houston Griffith's going to beat him out, so it doesn't matter. But but I do think that's why there will definitely be a rotation. You don't bring in Isaiah Pryor if you don't think he's going to help you. And, the, and, and you don't have anyone really behind him. So here's the thing. What can, what can Litchfield Ajavon or um, what's the kid's name? Brown. Yeah, DJ, right? Yeah, DJ, DJ Brown, Brown. right. Yeah. What can they say about, you know, Isaiah Pryor playing ahead of them? Not really anything. He's played at Ohio State. He's played in big games. I mean, Ohio State is one of the top programs in the nation. Okay? So they can't really say anything. So it's like if he plays ahead of them, it's like, well, that makes sense, right? He was a, he was a top 100 player too. He played at sure. Ohio State, didn't work out. Now he's here. He's probably going to show why I, I got time at Ohio State, right? And then he's got the leadership piece too, because you know he was there in the winter, 
So he's been there a lot longer. Right. Lance Taylor, he had better be careful because what has Trevor Spate shown? Nothing. Nothing. He's basically he's been injured his entire career. You could, you, I mean, it, you, you could if you're Sebo, and you look at him, it's like, why is he getting? Why is he getting work over me? Unless right. it's obvious. If it's obvious, then it's okay. All right? right, it's understandable, right? If he's out there and he's just ripping things off and he's breaking tackles and he's making moves, it's like, hey, he's balling, right? Players know if a guy's balling, he's balling. But if he's getting just like a ton of reps and he's not really doing anything, so why is he getting time? Who's this guy? What has he done? Like he he went to Stanford. He, he didn't, well, you know, he didn't come here. I chose Notre Dame, right? right? I'm the one who came in. You asked me to come here. And now you're giving him time because he's your boy from Stanford. It's like, I don't care about that. And and it's like, it's not just Sebo. It's Jameer Smith, too. Right. It's Jameer. Yeah. And, and it's Kyron Williams. And you, it's Kyron and it's Williams Ky- as well. And it's Kyron Williams. Wait yeah. a second. You recruited me. You know, you, you that guy, he, he didn't come here. He, he hasn't shown you anything. I'm younger. So you got to be careful with that stuff because players know if a guy is 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 for real and he and you know he's he's earned it and he's earned his stripes then it's like okay i understand right but if he hasn't then he hasn't and you got to be careful with that you got to be real careful with that cuz he could lose that room because then it's like you you know he he's going to show favoritism to Tyree right and everyone knows why right so no one's <laughs> going to get mad at Tyree for getting reps right okay? but at the same time, it's like, wait, we know he's getting reps, and that's understandable. What's up with this situation over here? Right. He wasn't even here in the spring. So, so, so well, my oh. question to the two of you guys is, since we're on the topic of grad transfers, other than, I mean, Nick McLeod seems like he's going to be the starting cornerback, but we'll put him in there. Which grad transfer, because Notre Dame has a historic number this year, which grad, tra- grad transfer is going to have the biggest impact in 2020? I mean, who do uh, you think, Jude? It's, that's a great question. I mean, you know, McLeod seems like the obvious answer. I want to give a, a shout out to somebody we haven't really talked about, Ben Skoranek. I mean, yeah. he had a ton of catches. Um, I think it was the year before last, right? Because last year he sat out with the leg injury, if I recall yeah. correctly. So, um, Captain, um, you know, I see a, a role. Ah, God, there's so many wide receivers and you can do so many things with them. But, like, I just see him being a complement to the to the offense that I think Tommy Reese is going to run. And I could just see him becoming, like, a favorite target for Ian Book. Uh, you know, kind of a Chris Fink always finds a way to get open toward a dude. Um, so I don't know if I feel kind of silly though, because we've seen Freddie Canteen and we've seen Cam Smith and we always seem to, to kind of go after these guys. Um, but they had injury histories that, I mean, Skronica obviously came back from this, from this, from this big one, but I don't know that he, Freddie had multiple injuries if I recall yeah. correctly. Um, maybe Cam too. I think Cam was hobbled as well. So. Uh, I'm going to say Skoranek just to, to change it up, although I think the answer is probably McLeod. Greg? I, I would also say McLeod because I would I would imagine he is probably the only one who's definitely starting. Yeah. I mean, he's going to start. 
because you've got you got Crawford, who they like to mess around with at safety too. Trick Bracey. And they definitely they definitely want him in the slot. So you've got Crawford and Bracey. Those are field guys. Like I don't want Crawford messing around on the boundary. <laughs> <laughs> and and Bracey, it's like keep keep him at the field. You know, he does well there. They made so, that mistake last year, right? Yeah. Where they, they, they put him. a guy who belongs uh at they tried to to move a guy to a cornerback position that they didn't feel they didn't feel comfortable being at. Right, and it's like you know, Pride played well, but it's like you'd rather you'd if if McLeod was on the team last year, he would have started last year, and Pride would have played the field. Yep, you know they wouldn't have done that. So he's he'll he'll play he'll play the boundary. So just on a game to game basis, he'll be the one. It's like you just pencil him in. He's playing. I think that I think Jude's probably right about Skoranek in terms of like he had he he could he could develop a role that is maybe more impactful than Pryor would. So Pryor Pryor will get snaps guaranteed, but it's like are they going to be impactful snaps? For lack I mean, of a better way to put it, Skoranek is six four. He can high point balls. Um, he has more catches than any, I mean, the, the leading receiver for Notre Dame coming into 2020, do you know how many catches he has? Um, leading receiver. How many catches does Tommy Trimble have? Uh, well, he has 16. Does that not count? He has 16. Um, is but he, I mean, is he the answer? Uh, no, 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 no. He is not because he's a tight end. Um, Okay. But he has 16. Uh, the wide okay. receiver with the most catches coming into this season. It's um, got to be. Wait, 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 wait. It's got to be Lindsey. No, it's not Lindsey. Lindsey oh, had 11 catches. Lindsey has 11 catches. Uh, keep uh, going. Can't, can't be Austin then, because Austin must have fewer than 11, right? It sure does. So it's McKinley. Uh, no. No, this McKinley is, doesn't have 11. It's Lawrence Keys who hauled in 13 balls last wow. year. Wow! What? I, I did not I'm think mistaken, that. Unless I'm mistaken, Javon McKinley has 11 catches. Um, Braden Lindsey has uh, 11 catches. He's got the 13 rushes, which kind of throws it off. He had 454 yards of total offense and four touchdowns last year. Uh, electric the whole way. But um, yeah, Lawrence Keys had 13 catches in 2019. Yeah, that's true. That's that's your pace. And Ben Skoranek had 12 catches in an injury plagued last season, and he had 45 and 45 and 18 and 17. Um, so he's Ben Skoranek. I mean, he's he's playing in sort of the the garbage side of the Big Ten, but. I mean, he's had big catches in big games, so I don't know. That's not a bad. It's not a bad call, Jude. I kind of like. I kind of like it. I think we all agreed, though, that Nick McLeod is Nick, the, Nick McLeod is, is the guy. I think <laughs> we all just went for a second answer just because we didn't all want to talk about Nick McLeod. But right. Um, uh, the last one from Josh. That was from Brendan, I believe. The last one from Josh is kind of a fun one, and he just said simply, "Hot dog versus corn dog." Who's got a strong opinion about either one of these? So this ties into to Josh's adage of of, of burrito versus taco, right? This yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Who 
who's on team who's on team corn dog? Well, wait, 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 wait. So, do we agree that the taco or the hot dog is the taco of the two of these, right? I think and so. Corn I think dog so, is yeah. the burrito. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm on. I'm on team corn dog. Just Are like you I'm really on team burrito? Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. All right, Brendan, where are you at? I'm on team. I'm on team hot dog because. I feel like if you get a corn dog, you are locked into mustard. You are locked in. Hot dog is ten times, a hundred times more versatile than a corn dog. Just like a taco is a hundred times more versatile than a burrito. Yeah. Um, I mean, with burrito, the, at least you could you could say, well, I put different fillings in there or whatever. Right. Corn dog. I mean, corn dog is a corn dog. I mean, like you could say different condiments or something like that, but you're not really dressing up a corn dog. I mean, Greg, I'm going to to give you an opportunity to to defend this, but I I don't know, man. Well, if you don't, I mean, are you, are you a battered lover? If I do, I understand. I, 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 the battered Oreos at the state fair, like I'm, I'm all in like dip anything in batter. I'm, I'm, I'm game for it. I'd like corn dogs. I'm just saying, if I have to choose between hot dogs and corn dogs, I'm going to hot dogs a hundred times out of a hundred just because I can do so much with a hot dog that I can't no, do with see, corn. If you if you if you're trying to do things all these different, you know, variations and all those things, then that's fine. See see to me, you get the perfect you gotta get the the, the state fair corn dog and you get the crunch. So you get the crunch with with the batter and the saltiness. So that you get the sweet, the crunch, and then the saltiness with the hot dog. And look at I, I'm not I, I I refuse to be pegged into mustard, <laughs> although I, I I do love it with mustard, I will say. It's, it's not a bad situation. I mean but the point do, is is that you can do sweet and crunch with, with hot dogs though. You know? Yeah. You can put some crispy onion straws. You can get some crispy onion straws in that bad boy. Let me pickles. tell you what I mean you can get you pickles. Do. I'll put on some. Uh, they make uh, better made. Make some flaming hot. Uh, um, they're basically like f- Frito chips. They make flaming hot Fritos. Put some flaming hot Fritos on top of a hot dog. Shut the front door. I'm all about it. <laughs> <laughs> I just. I mean, I've. I, I don't know. Like just a, a hot dog, you can cut up and 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 put in things. I don't think you'd ever want to put a corn dog in really anything. Like you're not gonna put a corn dog in macaroni and cheese, right? Why not? I mean, you could, I suppose. You could, of course, you could. Yeah, feel See, like here's here. Here's the thing. What you could do, right? You take a bite of the corn dog, right? All right. Okay. You got see you guys aren't creative enough. That's the problem. So, so you take a bite of the corn dog, right? So now the rounded top is off, right? So then you dip it in some nacho cheese, and then you dip it in some bacon bits, and there you go. And there you go. That and I mean, you, then you love yourself. And then we're getting now we got a production. Uh, exactly. Well, I mean, a Chicago hot dog is a production too. So I. That's I mean, what I'm. But that's what I'm. I'm not going to hate on production. I'm not going to hang on onion straws and Fritos and all these other oh, yeah. things. Like why? Why can't I? Why can't I make some? Yeah, because like, I, okay. I guess what I would it, look if if it's just like a we're going up to a vendor and he's got a hot dog on a bun or a corn dog. Then yeah, of course I'm going to take the corn dog because that's a little bit more exciting, right? But like, but. A hot if he says like, well, I got a hot dog and I could do something with it, then it's like, okay, well now I've got some now I've got some options, right? But what if I've got a corn dog and I can do something with it? 
I, that's the thing is, I'm not really sure. Like, I don't like. I'm going to tell the, the the listeners right now. Send me all your corn dog recipes because I don't I don't know that I've ever made anything besides just straight corn dogs. I don't know that I've tried to do corn dogs <laughs> with something else, right? <laughs> Whereas hot dogs, I've done a lot of things with hot dogs. So. Listen, don't get the don't get the Pinterest crowd all riled up. Dude. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. I got to be careful with this stuff, you know. Unless so. the Pinterest nailed it crowd, and then you see those failed <laughs> failed uh, corn dogs. I'm all about that. Send me those. So, last thought about this hot dog versus corn dog. Where does Josh fall in the hot dog versus corn dog? I think he's corn asking, dogs. I think if I ask the question, he's corn dog, right? Yeah, he's team corn dog. Absolutely. Because of course, I'm on the side of Josh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then obviously Carter Carl's just thinks everything is a sandwich. So hot dogs it's a sandwich. Are, are, are definitely sandwiches, right? So. No, I mean, I would imagine Carter Carl's takes a taquito and he puts it in the hot dog bun at the gas station that he's getting his dinner at. <laughs> and then he puts the gas station chili and the gas station cheddar cheese on top of it. And then, you know, the onions and the, the sweet relish and the everything that he can put onto it. And he's like, he, he shows up and he's like, Oh, just got one taquito and it's got like $15 worth of toppings. And then he dips it in the gas station Coke. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, before we wrap up tonight, we do have two reviews. Uh, Josh has always promised to read the view, reviews verbatim. He's not here tonight, but I think I can. I think I can manage. Um, I'm going to go backwards and do this. The second one first, um, the more recent one, and because the the last one has a question, I think is worth m- maybe asking both you guys. So uh, the first one is from Nathan Coleman, 45. Uh, the title is Amazing Podcast. And the text is, great podcast for information about Notre Dame football. I'm from South Carolina, and I'm a diehard Notre Dame fan. It runs in my family. This podcast is great because it's three guys talking about the thing they love. You guys sound like me and my friends discussing, arguing about football. It's something I look forward to listening to at work. Thanks for making the time pass by and also keeping me up to date with the latest Irish news. You guys are the best. P.S. Julian Love is absolutely a five-star player. Sorry, Jude, LOL. <laughs> um, Craig, where's your thoughts on Julian Love being a five-star player? I, I took this argument to, to Greg because I was so pissed off about it. And I wanted him to agree with me, but I don't think he does. I mean, it, it, you know, if you're going by the 247 thing, then he's not because – he, you know, he's not a first round pick or however they do it, but he came in to me. A five-star player is someone who just comes in, makes immediate impact and in like a, in a good way. Right. So like, like, um, uh, what's the kid's name? Devin Studstill, right? He started a bunch of games in 20, uh, 2016. Yeah. But like, he wasn't, he didn't play that particularly well. So it's like, I mean, you know why he's playing. Julian Love was kind of forced into action too, but it's like he came in and played well every single game. Kavari Russell. Exactly. Right. So, you know, at some point it's like, okay, if you're starting for a major college, your freshman season, and then you'd like never leave the field ever again. Major award consideration. Except in the playoff game, um, <laughs> <laughs> then you, you're a five star player. You're a five star. Is Kyle Hamilton a five star player? 
No, he left the field. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like you know, you come in and 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 people are hyping you up, and you're playing, and you have a key role. Now here, I mean, the better a better question is Josh Adams, a five star player. That's my yeah. question. My question is: Is how can Kyle Hamilton be a five star player who didn't he didn't even score a touchdown until a second game? Inconceivable. It's a good question. It's a good question. It took till a second game for him to score a touchdown. That's that's not five star. You're only you're only allowed to ask it because I know you're joking. <laughs> or else I get very upset. Um, is there something that Kyle Hamilton could do to lose favor with you? Like, is there something where you could just be like, I don't. I'm sorry. I, I know it was 110% all in on this guy, but it, I, I got to back away now. The only thing that he could do is make some like extremely inflammatory, like Kobe comments or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would consider, and then I would consider, I, you know what? I would probably, his mom follows me on Twitter. I'd probably like have to send her a DM and like ask for some clarification. <laughs> What if Kyle um, was like, can't wait to see LeBron choke in the playoffs this year? That's fine. Uh, whatever. Okay. All right. All right. I, I so, so it's I not, think, it's I not, think, I don't, I think, I think I saw something from him where he thinks LeBron is like the goat or whatever. So, so oh, yeah, it's not, debated. it's not about your rental. Um, it's not about your rental superstar player that, that your Lakers have, but it's about the born and bred Kobe forever. Kobe to me is like um he he's like Kyle but like different like like cuz <laughs> Kobe was like when I was 15 you know so Kyle is now like my Notre Dame version of that so if like if Kyle if Kyle went in on Kobe in like a really serious way and is talking about how like he thinks Tim Duncan's better than him then I would be like, okay, I'm going to have to send his mom like a message and be like, Hey, can you just simmer, simmer down? son? <laughs> well, can you just like talk to him please? Cause it's like really hurting my feelings, <laughs> but no, I don't think there's really anything he could do. I mean, he's Kyle. He's a freak. He's a freaking free safety, man. The safeties stick together. Love it. Uh, yeah. The second review is from Wyatt Doc ND. I don't know if that means that Wyatt is a doctor, or maybe his last name starts. With Doc. No, it's a, it's a, it's obviously uh, Wyatt Earp and Doc, Doc Holiday. Doc oh, Holiday. sweet a Tombstone reference, or uh, well, I Tombstone guess Tombstone Pizza reference. <laughs> oh God, here we go. Uh, title of this one is called Favorite Games. He says best ND podcast I've found thus far. Love the show. Always entertaining and informative. <laughs> Pending good news on the COVID front, I will be attending my first ND game this year at USC. Greg, will we be at, at USC this year, pending everything being okay? I doubt it. Okay. That's a hard one with kids, right? It's a hard one with kids. Um, there, Because the thing is, is there's one or two scenarios. Um, either Notre Dame isn't that good, so it's a waste of my time. Right. Or um, they play pay money five o'clock Pacific. Yeah. yeah. It's a or, real bad time for family. Or um, Notre Dame is good and the lot's on the line and I'm entirely too stressed out for that. <laughs> you don't want to see the renovated uh, Coliseum? No. I, I'm sure he's been in that trash heap before. Do you guys, I don't think, have you guys been to a game at USC? No. No, no. It is very annoying and difficult to deal with. I went to the 2012 game. 
Now, okay. I, I, that's the last game I've been to at the Coliseum. I went to that game, and it was very difficult to deal with. How many times did you hear uh, the, the fight song? All the times. Oh, you it's mean the only song playing. we know, It's Pouring and Slow? That it's one? <laughs> never not, it's never not playing. Wow. Now, were you totally stressed out during that 2012 game? Yes. Hey. Yes. I was there with my uh, future wife. Oh, wow. Um, she's still married you after all that. Yeah, huh? but she's still married me. It's unbelievable. Wow. All right, let me finish this uh, review here. It says, I'm from the east side of Cleveland and never made it to South Bend for a game, although I did visit campus once while I attended BGSU, which I assume is Bowling Green Green State University. We stuck out like sore thumbs, but I digress. I plan to attend the USC game because I have a friend and fellow Irish fan on the West Coast. Shout out, Sam. Do you know Sam, Greg? I don't know Sam. (laughs) All right, well. Sam, reach out to Greg on Twitter, Greg2126. I'm here. I'm ready for you, Sam. (laughs) And it gives me a good excuse to get the hell out of Cleveland at the end of November. Hey, who can blame him on that, right? That's right. The question is, what is your favorite non-ND campus to visit to watch the Irish play? And when do I get the chance to come to a game in South Bend? Which upcoming home game in the next few seasons are you most excited about? So I don't know if we have a great... um, answer for the first one i greg what what stadiums have you been to that that are not uh notre dame stadium that you maybe would um, want to watch the irish play at obviously the coliseum uh is a dump, the coliseum, so. <laughs> coliseum i don't know if i've been to another away game i haven't been to that many games i went to the and did you go to the rose bowl in uh, 2007 to watch them play ucla uh i didn't i was actually working that night um, but I've, I mean, I've been to the Rose Bowl. I didn't go to that game. Um, hmm. And I, I, I went to the Na- I went to the Navy game. I don't think I, I don't know that I've been to a, an opposing stadium to watch Notre Dame play before, other than the Coliseum. Brandon, uh, what stadiums have you been to? I'm assuming Michigan, the Big House, right? Uh, I went to the Michigan. I went to the Big House uh, when I was like seven years old. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I've been to uh, Michigan State. I've been to uh, Michigan State Stadium, which is um, it's made of concrete and there are rust stains <laughs> on the side of it. It's a hideous stadium. Um, and then always sunny Kelly Short Stadium up in Mount Pleasant. And then uh, Notre Dame Stadium. But as far as future games, um, I mean, it's 2023 Ohio State, right? That's exactly what I was going to say. 2023, the home game against Ohio State. Um, Texas A&M is kind of cool, but Texas A&M's never done anything in their entire history. I'm um, mildly curious about Cal in 2022. Yeah, that's kind of fun. Um, Cal's kind of fun. I mean, Clem- I mean, anytime Cle- I, I'm excited for Clemson um, in 2022 as well. That 2022 schedule, How by about, the way. Uh, Alabama in 2028 with Robot Saban. Yeah, I can't wait for um, uh, uh, Dabo Sweeney uh, coaching uh, Alabama in 2028. I mean, it's a real weekend of burning situation where, like, Dabo has Nick Saban's, like, dead body on his shoulder, <laughs> Just, right? He's, he's just, wearing they're sunglasses. They're together. And they're, yeah, they got the, the same old bottle of Coke in his hand, and they're just calling plays. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been to Ross Aid Stadium, Purdue. That's not something I would really recommend you need to run right out and do. Uh, I've been to Alumni Stadium at Boston College. That's not something I would really recommend you run right out and do. Um, I've never been to the big house. Uh, never been to USC. 
trying to think about games that we played away that I might have gone to. Oh, I unfortunately watched them play in the Carrier Dome, and I and living oh. an hour fifteen minutes away from Syracuse, I would definitely never recommend doing that. Although I am curious to see what it will look like now that it's not a dome and it's more like a roller coaster on top. But um, yeah, I don't have a good recommendation for non Notre Dame Stadium. Um, I'm just trying to think. I've been I watched them play Navy, but it was always at like Giant Stadium. Or they played Army at Giant Stadium. I saw that uh, Navy. They played at the Raven Stadium, which obviously it's an NFL stadium. It's a nice stadium. So um, trying to think of where else I've been that I would say, oh yeah, def- you definitely got to check that out. Um, but yeah, the game I'm looking forward to is, is Ohio state. Greg got a different answer than Ohio state. I do not know. I have a lot of friends who are Ohio state, uh, Ohio state fans. Um, so that'll, that'll be, <laughs> I'm really not looking forward to that actually. I mean, I'm looking forward to that, but it's like, man, it's the way that it's the, the trajectory of their program is just kind of like it's going to be super stressful. They're going to give me a hard time. I mean, is there a is there a college stadium on your bucket list? Something that you would you want to see, even even if it wasn't Notre Dame playing? Something that maybe it's a game. You, I've always wanted to go to this bowl or something. Is there is there is there a stadium or a game that you'd really want to go to? Um, I think you know a lot of the games um, in the South. So like Florida, Georgia, something like that. Yep. World's greatest um, cocktail it, party. Yeah. It's just like a different, um, a different kind of atmosphere. Yeah, I don't think people realize in California how, how not sports centric <laughs> it is here. Well, like we look at your really crowds. Don't. Yeah. Like, they're what's that? Bolsterous crowds. It's not the crowd thing as much like Stanford is, I mean, that's mid, that's different. It's not, it's not so much the crowds. Like if you go, right. Like if you go to a USC game, everyone there is like into it. Right. it's not, it's not the actual atmosphere. It's like the, just the surrounding area. I can go weeks, months without talking about sports to people like out somewhere. And that like, when you go to, and I go to like Chicago. It's like I love to go to Chicago because everyone there is talking about, you know, the Cubs or the Bears or you Black know, the Hawks. Blackhawks or whatever. Yeah, like they're sure. always talking about it. And <laughs> and it's it's just like I love that so much. And I feel like in the South, it's like that to the nth. Yeah, oh, yeah. So like I want to be a part of that sort of kind of atmosphere. So something like, um, you know, Alabama. LSU's, Georgia, LSU's Alabama, my Auburn. team. Yeah. There you go. LSU. Perfect. You know, LSU, Bama, um, Alabama, something like night. that. Oh, man. Yeah. How about uh, Red River rivalry? Texas, Oklahoma at the State Fair. Do you think that'd be worth checking out? Sure. All of yeah. it. I went to, uh, I, I just reminded myself, I did go to the 2016 game at DK, uh, Daryl K. Royal, Royal Stadium. That was actually a good time with, with the exception of <laughs> the team obviously losing. Um, you know, a hundred thousand people crammed together real loud. Um, I enjoyed that. That was definitely one a stadium. I would suggest people, uh, at least check out once in their lifetime, uh, you know, obviously play it, it, play a good team. If Texas is back the year that you go. So, um, they're back I, I every year. They're, they're back every year. Hope just like, uh, just like, I don't yeah. know if you saw the article, I know but what you're Michigan about. I know is what you're talking about. Michigan, is this the year that Jim Harbaugh finally year six? Is this year Jim Harbaugh <laughs> finally breakthrough? This is the breakthrough year. 
Yeah, that's the, the good stuff. Just solid verbal said. Oh man. Yeah. All right, guys, we are at about an hour and 45 minutes. Um, closing thoughts. Is there anything that we didn't talk about tonight that you want to put out there? Obviously before Greg gets started, we want to thank him for being on the show. You can find him on Twitter. Great follow Greg 2126 on, on Twitter. Uh, Maybe more importantly, he writes uh, at uhnd.com, and so check out his work there. Um, and and we thank Frank for letting him uh, come on the show as often as he does. And uh, and and when they get around to it, him and Michael have their own podcast called the uh, Untitled Notre Dame USC podcast that you can find on uh, Spotify and and uh, wherever you download your uh, podcast. So check them out. Um, that's always a, that's always a good listen to. So when Michael comes back from from uh, getting the baby on the sleep schedule. I'm sure we'll hear more uh, from those two guys. So uh, Greg, you'll get first honors here. Is there anything else to talk about tonight? I just, I just want to circle back to like a main theme of mine tonight is like, Hey guys, like you have a good football team. Okay. Appreciate the team. They're, they're good. They're not as bad as, as you want to say, everyone wants a championship, but you still got a good team. So appreciate that. Everyone stay healthy. Um, hopefully we get, we all get the season that we want. I am currently in denial about the fact that I might not get to see Kyle play. It, it just is my luck that it, I, I finally get a player who is transcendent in my eyes and, and there's a pandemic going around the globe. So everyone stay safe. Everyone stay healthy. That's awesome. Brendan. Oh, this one's for Greg. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I will uh, I will put this out for uh, um, the USC fight song. Hey guys, it's USC recruiting offensive line is not for me. But dump, but dump, bump, 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 uh, I've got nothing to top that, so I will uh, close it out with everybody. Uh, I'm sure we'll play the alma mater, and we'll tell everybody, go Irish, and we'll talk to you next time.